Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, the July 2022 Roundup is brought to you by Funny Game Games. And hello folks, welcome back. I got a bunch of games to talk about. 18, if I recall correctly. Uh, July was a very busy month for my wife Jen and I, even though we spent over a week of it on the road in Alaska having one of the best vacations we ever had. I gotta say folks, I've been doing Rotto Runs through now for 10 years and I think it's only just now that I'm starting to hit my stride, that I can uh, mix uh, you know, a good uh, work and life balance. And in large part, that's because of all the phenomenal contributors who I've been able to bring onto the channel. Over, you know, We've got Shay, we've got Kimberly, we've got Ruel, we've got Ryan, we've got Amy and Maggie. And you're about to hear from all of them what they got up to uh, this month. Although, actually, I, I speak for some of them because some of them are on the road to Gen Con as we speak. Uh, but all of that aside, I am very excited to announce that this August, uh, next week, if all goes to plan, I'm bringing on a sixth contributor to the channel. I'm not going to spoil it. Actually, just in case something goes wrong, I don't want to uh, jinx anything. So August going to be even more exciting than ever. We're going to have a bunch of good stuff, but that's looking forward. If you want to know more about what's coming in August, hit that eye in the top right corner screen. You go to soon.rao.com. This show is about looking back for the last month. What uh, games were we all playing? How did we like them? How do we rank them? Well, um, before we get to my stuff, let's hit the contributors first. And I think we will start with Kimberly. Kimberly, take it away. Thanks, Richard. Well, it might seem like I've not been all that busy in July as... My videos haven't come out this month, but I have been furiously prepping to attend Gen Con, which means that I was getting my August videos done early. And spoilers, there's some really cool games coming out in August with any of these Kickstarter and Game Found platforms that I am so excited for you to see. So stay tuned for August for videos that I'm covering on the channel for run-throughs. As for me, some things that I've been up to lately, I've been playing the snot out of Welcome to the Moon. I am now uh, moving into my seventh uh, game map. There are eight in the campaign, and I already have a video out that was done around map four, so about halfway point, I couldn't wait. Check that out on my channel, and I've also been playing a lot of the guild of Merchant Explorers. I've played three of those four maps, and it's uh, both of those games are flip and rights, or in the case of the Guild of Merchant Explorers, flip and build. It's kind of like a kingdom builder where you get to place uh, these little explorer cubes out on your own personal player mat. Okay, the other thing too is uh, I've been playing a lot of Undaunted, and I think it's because I'm excited about the new third installment of Undaunted, which is Stalingrad. That is coming out soon. I've got Normandy, and on its way to my house, I have North Africa coming. So Undaunted is a fantastic, streamlined, wonderful deck-building two-player battle game that is just compact. I'm, I'm in love with it. So Lewis and I have just been blazing through the Normandy um, campaign uh, games in order. 
Um, I also am really excited to go to Gen Con soon and check out some of those Spiel des Jahres uh, nominees and winners. So Scout, yes, I'm looking forward to checking out what Scout has to offer. Um, I hear it's really savvy, even though it's um, pretty brief and quick. Uh, the other thing I'm looking forward to is Living Forest. Yes, I, I love Press Your Luck games, that's what I hear about it, and of course it beat out my pick for Kenner Spiel, which was Dune Imperium, so I really want to get my hands on Living Forest. And if you want to know more about my Gen Con anticipated list, please check out the video that I just released uh, this past week on my channel, Tabletop Tolson, and I talk about those top 10 anticipated games that I want to play with a longer list all the way to 20, and some of the games that I've already played, have access to, or own that are kind of really hot right now, and that's why they didn't make my list. So thanks for staying tuned to what I'm up to in the month of July. Not much as it comes to run-throughs, but boy, you're going to have a lot in August and September from this lady. All right, I am now going to pitch it to Shay. Shay, what did you play this month? Hey, folks. So I played a few games this month. Uh, I covered four on the channel, and there's one more that I didn't cover on the channel, but I want to talk about anyway. Um, so I want to jump right into it with uh, the first expansion uh, that I covered, which was the Moonraker's Titan edition. Uh, and this is actually four expansions. Also, this was a paid Kickstarter preview. Uh, and the four expansions in this were Nomad, Overload, Binding Ties, and Luminor. And each of them brought something really interesting to the table. Now, I liked Moonraker's the base game, but I think these expansions really kick it up a notch. Uh, Nomad and Overload especially, those are my favorites. I think I, I, I never want to play Moonraker's again without those expansions. I think it just really ups up uh, the amount of agency you have in the game, and also just the, the general deck building of it, because Moonrakers is this deck building with some cooperation, but it's still competitive. You know, you are, you can invite people to help you out with missions that you go on, but you don't have to. So Nomad makes those missions a little bit more engaging, gives you more choice on how to do this. Uh, Overload just improves the deck building aspect of it in a lot of different ways. And then there's also Binding Ties, which improves the cooperation. If uh, some, if you were playing the base game of Moonrakers and wanted to engage with that a little bit more, maybe your players didn't feel like cooperating, now there's more incentive to do that with Binding Ties, though Binding Ties only works with three to five. Um, and uh, you know I like this game two-player, or I, I think it's better three to five, uh, but I want to play a two-player. And, you know, Nomad and Overload work at a two-player. But the thing that makes it best a two-player is actually Luminor. This turns it into a fully cooperative game. It's also app-assisted, and it looks really cool. I think anyone who likes roguelikes, especially games like FTL or Slay the Spire, will visually really dig Luminor. So those were all four of the expansions for Moonrakers and Titan Edition. And I... I Thought they were really good. But now let's get to the uh, the main games that I played. And I struggled with this list because I didn't want to put any of them on the bottom of the list. I liked all of them. But, of course, we must rank them. So at the bottom of my list is Davy Jones Locker. This is a cooperative game where you are playing as pirates or sea captains in an archipelago, and it works in a two-act structure. The first act, you're going around the islands, you're trying to improve your ship, you know, you go on adventures, you do challenges, things like that, and you want to build yourself up for the second act where you fight the Kraken. The Kraken awakes, and you need to fight them. Uh, it has uh, a bunch of different abilities that are determined throughout the game, and so you can prepare a little bit for it, but there's also going to be some stuff that you can't prepare for, and there's a lot that you really need to, to work on because it is a challenge. 
It's also a very interesting challenge. The second act, that boss fight, is a very satisfying conclusion to the rest of the game. And one thing that I really love about it is if your ship gets knocked out, you are not out of the game. In fact, if you get picked up by another player, you can improve their ship and you're still taking your own turns. So I thought that was a really great mechanic. Um, the only thing, uh, the reason that's on the bottom is that I wish the first act was a little bit more exciting. There's definitely stuff you can do, but it definitely feels like preparation for the second act. Though, I would say that it overall really reminded me of Eldritch Horror in a very positive way. Uh, Eldritch Horror, but I'd say a little bit less punishing than Eldritch Horror because of those things where, you know, you can't die too early and there are ways to come back even if you do. Um, but regardless, uh, David Jones is at the bottom of my list. And up next at number three, oh, I should say that David Jones is a paid preview. Uh, at number three, uh, another paid preview, we have Mammothidus. Now in this game, you uh, this is another cooperative game where you are playing as a tribe of uh, animalistic people, um, you know, you might be mammoth people or tiger people, uh, or boar people, I think is one of them, or maybe it was bears. Anyway, uh, this is, uh, the, the, the crux of the game is that you are trying to, uh, leave the planet because the humans have arrived and they are ruining everything like we do. Uh, and it, I, I love the, the, the setting of that, the artwork I think is really, really cool. It has a really distinctive style and parts. I do think the game is a little bit too big, but it's called Mammothidus, so, you know, big is uh, part and parcel of it. Um, and as you're going through the game, you are uh, going around collecting these tokens that will help you activate places of power. You activate four places of power and get back to the center. You leave, uh, and that's the goal. Um, but it also has an interesting deck building side to it where you are using the cards that you have to activate specific actions like moving or activating places of power or fighting off the humans. Um, so, you know, you want to uh, get more cards that are going to help you with the things that you do. Um, but it's it's... Not It's not a deck builder game, but deck building is a part of it, and I think it provides a pretty satisfying um, element to it. I think that was it was a really interesting uh, play, uh, the, the how that fit in. So, uh, Mimothetus was my number three, um, and going on to number two, and this is a very big game uh, by uh, Chip Theory Games, which is Burn Cycle. Now, this is a huge game, and while I do think... There are some issues with it. Specifically, it is a very fiddly game. I also really, really liked it. So in this game, you are playing as a team of robots, uh, robot saboteurs, you might say, freedom fighters, uh, because you are being oppressed by your human overlords and you are trying to fight back. They've injected a bit of malicious code into you, and so you need to bring on uh, an a, non-sentient robot with you who is containing your code, it all boils down to a very interesting action selection system where uh, this, the titular burn cycle is a series of chips that you can pass through to take your actions. You can exchange the chips for different actions and uh, those will allow you to maximize the actions that you're taking. So you can still perform anything else at, you know, just a non-special version. Um, you're trying to go around through different floors of an, a corporate office building. There's different, a uh, bunch of different robots you can play as, a bunch of different corporations that you can play against, a ton of different scenarios. So a lot of replayability, which is good because you're going to want to play this game a lot because it's difficult and it can be a little bit difficult to grasp as well. But I really loved the theme of it. I thought the, the system was really, really interesting. And when it works, it really, really works. It just takes a little bit of time to get over the learning curve. 
but that is not true for my number one game. Again, I did not cover this, but I know that Richard has, and I know that he liked it as well. This is Guild of Merchant Explorers. Uh, I managed to demo this at a convention a while ago before it came out. I recently got my hands on a copy and I played it, and it's so good. I, I li- I'm so glad. Sometimes you play something a long time ago and then you play it again and you're like, oh, this isn't quite what I thought it was. No, this is better. I really like Guild of Merchant Explorers partly because I really like roll and rights. And while this is not a roll and rights specifically or a flip fill, I guess you'd call it because it's got cards, and it is in such a way where you are mostly just playing your own board and you're competing against everyone else. Multiplayer solitaire in that way. If you really like those games, um, absolutely check out Guild of Merchant Explorers because it has a really, really satisfying puzzle. You're going through the game. Everyone's got the same map. You're trying to uh, explore out over four rounds and you are trying to uh, build up little towns, make establish trade routes between established cities. You are trying to uh, find these towers that give you a lot of extra points. And there's, for each different map, you have a bunch of different shared objectives and it's it's just a really really satisfying game. You play through, makes you feel. I mean, if you can if you can uh, you know understand how the game works, then and and that's not especially difficult. It just makes you feel really good for setting off these different combos. And then everyone has their own abilities as well because at the end of each round you get new cards that are specific to you, uh, though they will all be triggered at the same time. And it just gives you that bit of personality so that you can choose, you know, how you're going to to tackle the, the main puzzle of the game. So if you like rolling rights or flipping fills, however you want to call them, uh, absolutely check out Guild of Merchant Explorers. Uh, but those are my top four, top five games, to count the expansion, uh, of the month. And uh, that's it for me. So thank you all uh, for watching my bit. So I'm going to hand it back to you, Richard. Richard, what'd you play? I'm glad you asked, Shay. I'm about to tell you what I played. Although... Oh my gosh, um, great job on all the stuff. And folks, wait till you see all of Kimberly's run-throughs. It'll be coming next month. She just, uh, it was just going to be an explosion. It's going to be Kim's month in August. And honestly, that was a complete and total coincidence that both of them fell so hard in love with Merchant Explorers and decided to talk about it. I know I've raved about it so much, and I, I guess I'm not alone. It's good to get some validation that I'm not the only one so hardcore in love with Guild of Merchant Explorers. But you know what? There are more contributors to this channel than just Kimberly and Shay. So let's talk about what everybody else did. For starters, Ruel Gaviola, my partner in crime on the R&R show. Not only did we get together and talk games a few times, but he did a full run-through for Trick Draw, and he wasn't alone. He was joined by his wife, Michelle, and Monique of Before You Play, and they played through two full sessions of Trick Draw, which is a game that's on Kickstarter right now. This was a sponsored preview, and oh my gosh, this was so much fun to watch, and while Trick Draw is not necessarily my kind of game, because it is definitely a rootin' tootin', um, rock'em sock'em style ride, uh, that's kind of almost kind of gives me a love letter vibe, but set in the Old West with a lot more punchy punch and just really smooth and fast playing. And again, you will have a blast watching the three of them uh, run through two full settings of Trick Draw. Rel did a great job. Thank you, Monique, for making the trip across town to join them. And thanks, Michelle, uh, for uh, putting in the time, too. It was a very, very fun run through. I highly recommend it. So good job, Ruel. Hope to see you covering more games in the future. Although, don't quit your R&R day job, buddy, because 
because I, it's still my most favorite thing to do on the channel. And let's see, what else do we have? Oh, Ryan did another How to Play Rules Run-Through for Divine Dungeon which is a very interesting game in that uh, players are building a communal dungeon together, but then they all have their own adventurers that are going to try and run through it. And the coolest thing about this game, I think, is everybody has a hand of cards. You can play the cards to attack your opponents when their adventures are running through the dungeon, or you can save them in your hand for when you need to run through the dungeon. And I think that multi-use, uh, if I were to play a cutthroat, uh, you know, rip, rip each other apart as we try to escape a dungeon, or, you know, delve a dungeon together. I, that really gets me interested. And Ryan did, as always, a phenomenal job of breaking down how everything works with his trademark uh, humor and really amazing production. Ryan continues to be the best how-to-play rules video person in the industry, in my opinion, anyway. Otherwise, I wouldn't have him on the channel. Uh, so that was Divine Dungeon. Absolutely lovely. And finally, uh, the newest contributors to the channel, Amy and Maggie, uh, were on deck playing Stardew Valley, which is interesting because they have kind of a long-standing, we really tend to stay away from co-op games, not our bag, and yet they love this game. Now, in part, it's because Maggie is head over heels in love with Stardew Valley, the video game. But in spite of that, they, well, you can watch the run-through and see for yourself just how deep down the rabbit hole they go for this game. It is, uh, you know, they admit there's a lot of dice rolling, there's a bit of luck, but it's very thematically tied to the game. It can be a little on the long side, although what you really want to do, folks, is maybe check out Maggie's um, homebrew variant she's made that gives it even more of a feel of the video game by creating an epic multiplayer campaign that she enjoys always playing solo. Anyway, Stardew Valley, a monstrously popular game, and Amy and Maggie of Thinker Themer uh, do an amazing job of showing exactly why so many people love this game so much, and I'm so happy they were able to make the time to film it. And they were under intense time pressure because Amy and Maggie are at Gen Con this week, as is Kimberly and Ruel and Ryan and Shay. Everybody is at Gen Con except for me. I'm staying home taking care of the chickens and the dogs. Uh, and watering all the plants while my wife is off uh, traveling in England for a week. So I could not make it to Gen Con this year, sadly. But, um, phew. Uh, so, uh, it's great. I love hearing about what all the contributors got up to this month. But now, folks, the moment you've all been waiting for. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Or maybe not, I am going to count down the 18 games and game expansions that Jen and I played. Uh, and man, that's a lot, especially considering we were on the road for such a big portion of the uh, month. But somehow, by hook or by crook, we played a bunch of games. And so I'm going to be counting them down, starting with my least favorite and ending with our most favorite, which will be our new game of the month. And so without further ado, let's talk about number 18 on the list, 
claim two. And now, there is nothing wrong with this wonderful little two-player trick-taking game from Scott Alms. I mean, you know there's nothing wrong because there was already a claim, and that was so popular that it got a sequel, claim two, because people clearly loved it. And uh, this is a game set in a fantasy universe where we are trying to win tricks. But it's interesting because it, there's two halves of the game. In the first half of the game, we're trying to win tricks, but not to win the trick. The trick gets thrown away, but instead to win bonus cards that are off to the side, because we're building a new deck by winning tricks. And then in the second half of the game, that new deck we built from everything we've won goes head to head to see who wins the game. And not surprisingly, um, all the different cards uh, for the different fantasy races, trolls and gnomes and and, uh, whatnot, have special powers if you use them at the right time in the first half of the second half of the game. It's all very clever. And I could see why so many people really did claim and claim to. So why did it come in at the bottom of the list for us? This is the game, folks, that once and for all convinced me and Jen, we do not like trick-taking games. Uh, even when they're done really well, which uh, you know, we're seeing more and more really smartly designed two-player uh, trick-taking games these days. And you'll claim is really at the forefront of it. But still, this is a game where for 20 to 30 minutes, your sole goal is to try to outfox and flummox your opponent. And Jen and I just don't like trying to trick each other and bluff each other. It's just, we we just don't, you know, even when it's done so well here, it's just not a good fit for us. Trick-taking games, as it turns out, are not very Care Bear friendly, uh, at least in our opinion, which is why, as good as it is, my number 18 of the month is Claim 2. But then we move on to number 17, Sunny Day Sardines, which uh, is a very sharp little set collection game. Uh, We actually played this one on the road with my nephew, if I recall correctly. And then Jen and I played another game when we got back home really quick as a two-player game, too, because this is a fast uh, just a little featherweight game, um, and it's really simple. You have a hand of cards. Your maximum hand size is six, if I recall correctly. And on your turn, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to collect two fish from the fish market uh, um, and add them to your hand, or you are going to spend fish from your hand to complete contracts. At any given time, there are four contracts out on the board. And the trick is, you get to take two fish. That means you could either take a single card that has two fish on it, or if there are singles, you can take... Uh, two single fish. And that's really great because the, um, oh, what do you call it? The contracts are changing all the time. As people fulfill contracts, I was like, I'm trying to get, I just need one more green and I can fulfill that big four point green. Oh, you took it. Now what am I going to do with the two green I have? Well, you know what? Maybe I could go for another one. This thing that needs, um, you know, uh, multiple pairs or what have you, or I can pivot and try to do something else. So the game has, it's very fast playing, um, you know, a fun little tense game. And Again, the rules you could teach. I almost taught you all the rules of the game. You either take two fish, um, and at the end of your turn, you have to discard down to six, or you spend them, and whoever has the most points at the end of the game, by completing the most um, uh, contracts wins. We liked it. My nephew liked it. Uh, it is especially interesting because of that constant tension. Right, I know you... Did, did you take a green fish? Should I take this now, or am I wasting my time? Because when it comes around to you, you've got everything you need, and there's no point for me trying to complete this green contract. And so, I mean, honestly, to play well, there's a little bit of a memory element, which I have to admit is not my favorite thing. But we all enjoyed it, but it is featherweight. This is the very definition of a gateway game to play with friends, to try to get them involved in something other than hearts, or euchre, or something like that. Because there's a little bit of a theme. Um, You know, hey, going to the fish market to fulfill contracts and stuff like that. It's a nicely presented little game. The whole thing fits 
fits in a tin that is literally the size of a sardine tin, which is very, very cool. And um, we liked it. It's just too lightweight for us to be a keeper, which is why it comes in at number 17, Sunny Day Sardines. Then we move on to number 16, Walkie Talkie. And this is a very neat, fun little party game that um, is really interesting. It's real-time, which I understand is going to be a turn-off for some people, but for us, it worked really well. Uh, basically, I forget what the timer is. I think it's like um, it's only like a minute or two minutes or something like that, but everybody has a hand of cards, and the cards either have colors or numbers on, or letters on them. And um, there's, uh, and basically, what you're trying to do is play either, uh, in the middle of the board, there's also a color discard pile and a letter discard pile. If I play a D to the uh, letter discard pile, and at the top of the color discard pile is an orange card, that means I have to, on the moment, come up with a single word that starts with a letter D that is um, associated with the color orange. Or on the flip side, if the letter E is on the table and I discard a yellow card, I have to immediately, to be able to discard this card, to get to, you know, we're trying to get rid of our cards as fast as we can, I have to come up with a word that is traditionally a yellow thing that starts with the letter E. And honestly, I'm thinking, oh, I, I just want to give an example right now, and I can't. All I can think of is elephant. Um, what is a... What, uh, tell me in the chat, folks. If you had... What, what is a, ye a traditionally yellow thing that starts with the letter E? I don't know. But that's the crux of the game. And the thing is, it plays so fast because everybody's trying to get rid of their cards as fast as they can um, because um, that's how we communally, this is a cooperative game, score enough points. And um, if, you're, if you have a hand of cards and you can't think of anything, I can't think of any orange uses for these letters. I can't think of any E uses for these colors. Uh, you have two things you can do. You can issue a command that tells everybody to flip their hands over so that you and everyone else, suddenly all your color cards become letters and your letter cards become number or er, colors. Or you can do a thing where everybody hands their hand clockwise around the table. And, and often we found that was the key to success. If you're stuck, you just can't look at these anymore because you just um, you, know, you can't figure it out. Um, egg! Egg. Because of the egg yolk. Of course, egg yolks are yellowish. That's a perfect one. So if I could think of that in real time, I'd slap that yellow down and, um, you know, it'd be an egg. That's an example. Uh, thank you to the live chat, Dr. Claw for uh, and uh, Hawkskull for throwing that my way. Um, the chat, because uh, I'm streaming this live right now, is doing better than I am. It's a silly, fun game, and it really forces your brain to kind of like decouple and just start thinking in completely different ways because of the pressure of the real time. Although you can play it without the timer too, um, you know, just kind of as a warm up. but then you want the timer to really push, push, push. It's a fun, sharp game. Um, Jen and I don't have much use for it because it is a party game. And while you could play it as two, I don't know why you'd want to. The more people you have around the table frantically making people switch your hand and, and, um, you know, and do things. And plus, the more people that are playing besides you, the more often the discard piles shift up. So if you're stuck, well, you know what? Hey, maybe somebody else is going to change that orange into a purple. And, um, that's the, and that's the perfect thing for your E because an eggplant is purple. Hey, I could think of one. Um, so it's a clever game. If you're looking for a fun, fast, real-time, cooperative party game that makes your brain just try to make, you know, fire new synapse connections, it might be worth checking out. Uh, it's just not a long-termer for me and Jen. But we did enjoy our time with number 17, Walkie Talkie. Then we move on to... I'm sorry, that was number uh, 16. Number 15 is... Trek 
12. Which actually, this is a fairly popular, I think, series of roll and writes. Very light, um, because there's been a, a few different uh, versions of it and expansions that come out over the year. We had the um, the Himalayas version. And um, at its heart, this is a game where every round, two dice are going to get rolled. And bingo style, everybody uses those two dice to write a number somewhere on their sheet of paper that represents the mountain that they are trying to climb. And what you're trying to do is make a series of numbers on your mountain that are either ascending, going from a four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, uh, and that creates a trail that will score you more points based on the length of it, um, or you know, and the the you know, how high the highest number is. Or alternatively, you're trying to create groups of the same number, and so the bigger that grouping is, the more points it is. And so that's a really interesting thing. Um, you know, every time. But what's really cool about the game is how you get those numbers. Because say you rolled a four and a five, you have a few choices. Um, you could add the four and five together. Uh, to get a 9. You could subtract the 4 from the 5 and get a 1. You could uh, multiply the 4 and the 5 and get a 20. Or you could use the low value, the 4, or the high value, the 5. So, when you roll these two dice, you have a lot of options. You're really restricted in how you expand on the on the board and how you're trying to get everything to work. But the dice give you a surprising amount of options until you start using those options. Because every time you do any type of move, like say you use your the lower value die, you have to mark that you've done it. And you can only do any of those four calculate or those different calculations four times over the course of the game. So if you used up all your multiplies to get a bunch of high numbers, then you can't do it anymore when the perfect number comes along. So there's a fair bit to balance. And then on top of that, um, the game comes with um, uh, little uh, envelopes that you can open up to play over time, and um, you know get special player powers, and you can get um, equipment that will let you do things like manipulate dice and 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 do all kinds of fancy stuff. So it was a fun game. Jen and I definitely enjoyed it, um, but it is still very much on the light side. Uh, I would happily play this game with anybody, but I do think it is best suited again as kind of a gateway and probably the most interesting thing about this game is um, the built-in longevity because, especially if you get the, um, the I believe it's called the Plus 12 expansion or something like that, the game comes with a lot of systems that encourage players to play multiple games over multiple sessions, over multiple months. And based on the events that will happen in a game, you unlock certain um, uh, envelopes, but the contents of that envelopes belongs to one particular person. Um, and so the next time you play, oh, I I get my stuff out of my envelope. Or other players could then take it from you. There's a lot of interesting systems that give kind of like a built-in long-term metagame. And that's where I think the game really sings. And it really becomes interesting as you start to develop this history, as you play over and over and over again. And, you know, there's like um, the equivalent of the old arcade game. There's a sheet that where you keep track of high scores for everybody. And it's meaningful in this game, unlike those old arcade machines that would get reset every night when the arcade shut down. So I really liked that. And if I were in a different life where I didn't have to keep playing 15 to 20 new games a month, I can see this being a lot more attractive because I would want to come back and play with those systems and slowly unlock things and, ha and have our game have a history. That's really neat. That's probably the big thing that sets um, Trek 12 apart. And that's neat, but it just doesn't work for me and Jen, which is why it comes in at number 15. Then we move on to number 14 of the month. Dungeons, Dice, and Danger. Um, 
How did I get so many games played this month, especially when we were on the road so long? Hey, you know what? Roll and Rights are great games to take on an RV trip to Alaska, as it happens. Although in this case, we actually played with a uh, fan of the show named Andrew. Uh, he actually, we, we had a bunch of time to kill between returning our RV and um, uh, getting to the airport. So Andrew uh, reached out and said, well, hey, if you got nothing better to do in Anchorage, I'll play some games with you. And so we went to his house, and one of the games we played was Dungeons Dice Danger, which is a roll and write from Richard Garfield. That's right. Mr. Magic the Gathering. You know, I'm one of the most influential designs in history, and uh, for g- with good reason. So I am always interested when Richard Garfield does something new and different. And um, for him, a roll and write is a very, very cool new thing. And this is a fun game. Um, it is quasi-bingo style in that every round, there's a lead player who rolls five dice. Four of them white, one of them black. And everybody has to make two um, numbers out of that by adding. So like if you rolled a 1, 3, 3, and a 4, that means you could have a 7 and a 4. Or a 6 and a 5. I might have those numbers wrong. I don't even remember what numbers I just said, but you get the idea. You have to combine... Each player uh, figures out, how am I going to combine two of these ties to get two numbers? And then I look on the map that we're exploring for rooms that have that number and I fill them in. But I have to be expanding from rooms I've previously been to. So a big part of this game is trying to keep your options open because you can be exploring multiple different caverns at once. And so if you're in a situation where, hey, where I'm at right now, I could use an 11 or I could use an 8 or I could use a 3, then that means when I'm trying to figure out the pairs, I probably want to make one that has an 11 or an 8 or a 3. Um, and so that is a fun system. And then the, the actual spelunking, the dungeon exploring is very nice. The game comes with four different maps. They all have unique monsters and special rules for them that gives a fair bit of variety. The presentation is fantastic. Oh, and I forgot the one other thing. Whoever rolled the die, there was also a black die. If they want to, they could ignore one of the three white dice and use the black die to make their pairs. So they have a little bit more control, a little bit more flexibility than everybody else. And and that keeps going around, um, you know, from turn to turn. So it's sharp. We very much enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing it with Andrew. My only problem with it was is... It's a little long. It, it is It is a fairly light game. I mean, let's not say there aren't some interesting, tough decisions, but it is a pretty simple, straightforward game. And, I mean, you know, it's a, the, the rules officially say it's a 45-minute to 60-minute long game, and that sounds about right. But this really feels like it should more, be more like a 20- to 30-minute game, or 40 minutes at the most. And now, I should say, by the way, folks, in case you seek this out, please understand, there's got to be one of the worst rulebook typos in board game history, because it makes you believe that one player has to personally defeat every single monster in the dungeon to win, that's not wrong. That's wrong. It's a a community. Once all the monsters have been defeated communally by everybody, hey, I beat one, you beat two, Bob beat three over there. Oh, all six are beaten. It's over. Um, But even when played correctly, we just felt it was a little bit too long. And I kind of wish there was a variant, an express variant that says, well, hey, um, if, if there's seven monsters on the thing, the game is over once five of the seven monsters have been. And I think that'd be more interesting, too. Because it can happen that, oh, well, hey, we're all just waiting for you to finish that last monster. Nobody else can beat you on it. We've all got a long ways to go, so we're you're just waiting for you to get the numbers you need to do it. If it ended a little bit sooner, I mean, I, I think... 
I, I think that would kind of ratchet up the in-game tension because can I actually get this thing done? Um, you know, if, if, if we're not going to do every single monster and you and I are both down to the final two monsters, we're racing with each other um, because only one of those two monsters will be beaten. I think something like that could have really elevated quite a bit. Although, look at me, questioning Richard Garfield, the creator of Magic the Gathering and Robo Rally and King of Tokyo. I'm just some schlub with a camera. Although, I, I did design video games for 20 years. So, But anyway, we still enjoyed it, but with a little bit of tweaking, I think this could have come into our top 10 of the month. But as it is, Dungeons, Dice, and Danger comes in at number 14. Then we move on to number 13, Takedo Duo, which is very, very cool. Uh, this is the latest design from Antoine Bauza. And famously, Antoine Bauza, well, he designed one of the greatest card games of all time, Seven Wonders. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. And uh, many years later, he made Seven Wonders Duel, which is so good, it's in the top 20 games of all time on Board Game Geek. Yeah, because he did such an amazing job. Uh, crunching down this big, um, you know, ambitious card game into a fast little two-player duel. Cut two years. Meanwhile, he uh, along the way, he along the way, he had also designed Takedo, which is really, I think, one of the best entry-level gateway-style board games that are out there. It's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it has a wonderful deluxe edition. And um, honestly, I don't think Takedo works very well as a two-player game. Well, cut to 2022, and Antoine Bauza, fresh off the success of Seven Wonders Duel, says, hey, I'm going to turn Takedo into a two-player-only game. And that's what gives us Takedo Duo, which is fantastic. Like Seven Wonders Duel before it, it's not a carbon copy. It, it's kind of like inspired. Uh, you know, it, it has the same feel, the, the same presentation, but really new and interesting gameplay. And this game um, is a dice drafting game where you and I, because it's a two-player only game, are constantly in a battle of wits over which to... If I'm the lead player, I'm going to get two of the dice, you're going to get one of the dice. And these dice let us move our merchant, our pilgrim, or our artist on the board. And it's really like each one of those three different characters is playing a completely different game that scores points in different ways. And even though they all exist in the same space, it's almost like there's three different boards. It's really clever how the whole thing comes together. You can watch my run-through to, to get a sense for yourself. And... I was really impressed. Jen and I both think it's a brilliant design. And at this point, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't know this will ever quite, you know, uh, you know, get to the same lofty levels as Seven Wonders Duel, uh, because that's a really heavy, crunchy game. Whereas this is still a very, very lightweight, wonderful gateway game. But I'm going to say this is one of the best two-player-only gateway games in the industry now. It's so simple. It's so clean. It's so fast-playing. The decisions are tension-filled. Um, there's depth to it. And um, the only reason it didn't come in higher for us, because I respect the heck out of this design, but at the end of the day, it is still a gateway-style game. And Jen and I are generally looking for something a little bit heavier than this. So, uh, we, I, I would happily play it with anybody, and I would certainly play it over Takedo any day of the week. But, um, you know, for me and Jen, we're looking for heavier games, as you'll see later on in this list. So, Takedo Duo, uh, which was, oh, by the way, I was a, a sponsored preview because it's not going to hit retail. It's not going to Kickstarter. It's going directly to retail probably around October or November of this year. So, you can look forward to it there, and you can check out my run-through in the meantime, and it's really sharp. Number 13, Takedo Duo. 
But then let's move on to number 12. And now this is a big bad boy. It's Terra Mystica, the Automa box, which um, I was super duper stoked not to be able to play Terra Mystica, which is, you know, again, one of the highest ranked board games of all time on Board Game Geek. Is it in the top 10? Or is it also in the top 20? I don't remember exactly where, but with good reason. Terra Mystica is a brilliant, um, heavy Euro of fantasy area majority as you are. Wow, balancing so many plates, so many spinning plates that you're constantly having to deal with. I've done a run-through for Terra Mystica many years ago. I mean, it's it's a fairly well-known game. And um, why I was interested in this is not to be able to play Terra Mystica solo. Although, as I demoed in my run-through, this is a great solo option. It makes Terra Mystica really fun as a solo game because it was developed by Morton Monrad Peterson and his cohorts at Automa Factory, who are the best in the industry at coming up with solo versions of games. So I think it's a great solo mode. If you want to play this, you you uh, take on one um, of the uh, the fantasy races with your special powers trying to grab land. The Automa will uh, take on a special one that comes in the Automa box. The game actually comes with several to choose from that have different powers and whatnot. That's all very cool. And and have a great time. But here's why I was excited about this. Because the Automa system works perfectly well to insert into a two or a three player game. To make a two player game play, feel like a three or a three player game to feel like a four. And that's hugely important because Terra Mystica, one of its greatest strengths is the interdependency between players. Because you simultaneously want to build next to your opponents because you can get discounts on building some of the most important buildings. But you don't want to build next to them because every time you build next to them, they get the equivalent of magic power um, that they can use on their turn. So there's always this real really interesting balancing act is you're terraforming the land to be able to expand your dominion and either stay away from people or, or snuggle up close to them. And um, as the, originally as a two-player game, Terra Mystica just didn't sing. The board was too big, and so what made the game special just didn't fit. But I can confirm the Automa really works. And as a two-player game with the Automa, it is so much more rich and meaningful. And I, I, I highly recommend it. Now, it still comes in at 12 because this is still Terra Mystica. And I think Terra Mystica, I was talking a bit ago about how we like heavier fare. Terra Mystica is maybe a little bit heavier than we are comfortable with. Uh, because, I mean, it's such a deep, deep, crunchy game. So strategic. Um, and uh, really, I think the only danger about this is for people who love Terra Mystica because of the complete and total lack of randomness, everything is public information, there's random setup, and then you just figure out how to best. The uh, Automa player is a random element that gets added. So some people might have a problem with it. But it is designed in such a way that you can really make informed decisions about what the Automa is likely to do. In much the same way you can do that with human players, too. I think it's brilliant. Um, you know, we, we've gone from a little too light to just a little bit too heavy, which is why we're still at number 12 um, for Terra Mystica, the Automa box. And moving right along, folks, coming up next, we've got number 11, Explorers, um, which is a wonderful design from Phil Walker-Harding. And remember I said we did that road trip in Alaska, right? This is the game we played more than any other. Well, I, I must have played this game a half a dozen times with the niece and the nephew, with the sister-in-law, with the wife, and every time it was a great, fun, fast-playing um uh, not roll and write, flip and write, where we are frantically trying to explore um, a randomly generated world. Everybody has the same layout of four tiles, and every round, what happens is there is a, an explore tile revealed, and whoever's the lead player says, Hey, I want to explore, say, in desert 
or in water, because those are the two things that are on the explore tile. And what that means is, whichever one they choose, whoever the lead player is, they get to mark off three spaces, let's say, in water. And um, and maybe that's going to get them some fish, or get them closer to an island they're trying to reach, or whatever it might be. And they don't have to do it all in one place. They could spread all. They could be exploring in lots of different directions all at once. Now, what that means is every other player around the table then has a tough choice. Um, you might say, well, okay, it was water or desert. If I want to explore in water too, because the lead player chose it, I have to do a lesser one. I can only write two squares. And that's no good, because that's not going to get me where I need to go. So really, for peak efficiency, I should do the other option, the desert, that the lead player didn't choose. But wouldn't you know, I don't have any good deserts to explore. It'd be a waste of my time to explore desert. So, do I get do I do a triple explore in desert, which maybe don't help now, but maybe will set me up for something later? Or do I say, well, okay, I'll do a crappy water explore. And every time a new round comes around, and whoever is the lead player is like, oh, well, I could do mountain or grasslands. Which one am I going to do? I'll do... Everybody around the table is like, oh, please do grasslands, please do grass, Or, oh, please do mountains. Because every Everybody has a vested interest in whatever choice you're making. And he's like, yes! Oh, you chose mountains! Thank heavens, that means I've got the three on the grasslands I needed to be able to reach that that pumpkin, or whatever it might be. Oh, that's going to fix everything for me. Um, or, no! Why did you pick that? And um, and it's it's fun start to finish. Plus, the game has a fair bit of variability because there are these three extra little tiles that are that indicate that define how scoring works. And as part of setup, you can flip each of them. So each of them has two different sides. So you have a fair bit of variety. Plus the randomly generated world. It's really nice. Jen liked it a lot, a lot, a lot. This rated very high for her in her monthly Jen Jog video. She did. I like it too. Um, but I'll be honest. As much fun as it was, and it's a really great portable game, great for taking on the road, it's not as good as Merchants uh, or uh, uh, Guild of Merchant Explorers. If I had not earlier this year played Guild of Merchant Explorers, um, I would just be super gaga for this, uh, because it's the next best thing. But Guild of Merchant Explorers is probably one of my best games of the year. So Explorers is great, too. It does a lot with a very, very tiny footprint. I very much respect the um, design by Phil Walker-Harding. And I, I, I do think, um, yeah, uh, it, it's it's probably going to be a keeper for us, even though most of the time I'd probably rather play Guild of Merchant Explorers. But, I mean, Guild of Merchant Explorers is a big box. It takes up a lot of space. Uh, this plays fast, fast, fast fast, and it's fun from start to finish. Explorers, number 11. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Then we move on to number 10, Kites. Oh my goodness. This is a real-time cooperative game where players are playing cards as fast as they can that represent different kites, and um, we're playing them as fast as possible to keep the kites in the air. Because when I play, say, a kite, uh, a card that has a, a purple and a yellow kite on it, that means I have to flip the purple and the yellow uh, sand timer that represents how long the purple and the yellow kite will stay in the air. And um, each one of the, you know, the red kite is the dangerous one. That's the one that will only stay up in the air for 30 seconds. It's a 30 second sand timer. The purple is the slow one. It's easy to fly. It'll stay up for a minute and a half. And um, the game is so challenging because you must wait your turn and um, 
often you'll find yourself, okay, don't play anything, don't play anything. If I just wait a little bit longer, um, then uh, if I flip, if I flip this right now, we'll have to flip it again almost immediately. But this is the card I need to play. And so it's a literal, you are juggling, or I guess figuratively, sorry, I understand literal, you're figuratively juggling these, um, communally, these uh, uh, sand timers that represent these different cards. And the key to success in this game is communication. You have to be constantly saying, okay, go, 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 do anything. I need to flip that right now, now, now. It's the only thing I can do. Um, you know, and so there's a lot of that. Jen and I, we actually played this in our monthly Rotto Rest and Relax video, which is a Patreon and member exclusive. And if you watch us play it, we were not relaxed at all. We actually played three games back to back. We got better with each one. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant design. It's up there with Fuse, uh, which is, you know, one of the better co-op games that have come out over the last decade. And uh, I think we were really impressed by this. It's super challenging. Challenging. And that's without turning on, there's like special event cards. You can do like stormy weather and low flying planes that will mess with your kites. But um, yeah, uh, Jen found it a little frustrating, quite frankly. Um, but she appreciated the fact that uh, it really forces you to put your brain in a different mode, in a communicative mode. Only way you can win this game is, I mean, I mean it's tough to do, it's just to be uh, thinking about, okay, this is what I want to do in two turns. This is what I need to do next. Um, this is what, I, I can handle that. Okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. And everybody needs to be talking to be able to have a, a chance of success. And um, it's a quick, quick game too, especially if you lose as fast as we did. But even if you get a win, um, you know, the, it's a wonderful filler, great for different player counts, a lot of variety, just a brilliant, brilliant design. I am very, very impressed with uh, number 10 of the month, Kites. Okay, then we move on to number 9, Wormholes, which is a pretty big deal for me that this goes into the number 9 slot, because this game is pure pick-up-and-deliver gold. And if you love pick-up-and-deliver, you owe it to yourself to check this game out. It is all about flying from one um, planet in the galaxy, picking up some goods, and then carrying them to another planet that wants those goods. And honestly, pick-up-and-deliver is one of Jen's and my least favorite mechanisms. We generally find it so slow and humdrum. And I, to be honest, this game starts out fairly slow in Humdrum too, because at the beginning, your ships can only move very, very slowly. It takes a long time to fly from one planet to pick up the stuff that you then want to take to another planet while avoiding asteroid belts and stuff like that. But the important thing, it's in the title, folks. This is called Wormholes. Pretty much any time you want, you can drop these little numbered disks where you are or adjacent to where you are, and that creates one half of a wormhole, which is just an instant way to travel from one location to another. And and the thing is, the more you create, uh, once you have very slowly worked your way out to Alpha Centauri or whatever, and you put your second number two wormhole out there, now you've got an express train right back to the home sector. And you can be jumping back and forth really quick. But so can everyone else. Over the course of the game, as all players are putting more and more wormholes on the table, the game goes from a very slow... At the beginning, it's a little plotting, I'll be honest. But it starts speeding up very quickly as you start trying to puzzle out, right, well, okay, if I use my wormhole to get there, then I only have to move one space, and on the next turn I can get to your wormhole, which will get me to that, which will then get me to Jen's wormhole, which will then get me to the plan I need. And I could literally go from one side of the board to the other in like three steps 
steps. But the thing is, every time I use your wormholes, you benefit. So I don't want to use your wormholes. So maybe after I jump through your wormhole, I put my own wormhole right next to it. So in the future, I'll use my own. Although there are some rules about you know um, placing wormholes with certain adjacency and stuff like that uh, next to planets that you, you have to bear in mind. But uh, the thing is, it starts out simple, but it gets puzzly and crunchy as the board evolves right in front of you. And you just get these more and more interesting, uh, complex uh, shipping lanes all over the place. And it really starts to blossom. And towards the end of the game, everything is going at hyperspeed as everybody is racing to get that one last delivery done. And I gotta say, the design is freaking brilliant. And that's no surprise, because it's from the designer of Tiny Towns, which is in my top 50 games of all time. And so I fully expected this to be great. But the question was, would it work for us to overcome our distaste for Pick Up and Deliver? I'll be honest, we liked it a lot. My only complaint, the only thing that keeps it from being higher is, I think this game is going to do much better at a higher player count. Because as a two-player game, that, that slow start it's a little slow, a little bit longer, because there's only two people putting wormholes out. If there were four people putting wormholes out right from the get-go, you get to the good stuff that much faster. And um, you get that many more interesting, oh, well, I could jump to yours, to yours, to yours, or, oh, I can use m mine for two of the three. I, I, it, it still works. It works very, very well as a two-player game. I would recommend it as a two-player game for fans of Pick Up and Deliver. Uh, I would love to play this. I would rate it very highly at higher player counts where um, there's more wormholes networks being generated faster. As a two-player game, it was good. We definitely enjoyed it, which is why I'm saying putting it at the number nine slot, for me, that's high praise for um, wormholes. Then we go on to number eight, Shoes Tactics, which uh, is a game I did a, a sponsored preview for because it's on Kickstarter. I think it's still on Kickstarter right this very second, or for a little bit longer anyway. Um, and it's interesting. When they first contacted me, I said, I don't know if I want to cover it because they were touting Shoes Tactics as a solo-only roll-and-write game that retells the, uh, the what's it called? The Three Kingdoms, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms period of ancient China, which I know for a lot of people is a very exciting uh, time. And... Uh, and I love Roland Wrights, and I looked at the rules and I thought, wow, this looks really sharp. It's a very, very clever way that they kind of meld rolling and writing with flipping and writing, because you roll dice to get access to virtual cards. And each card is multi-use. The card can, um, you can eat, uh, every turn, you know, um, you're going to, three cards are going to be selected by the die roll. Two of those cards, you'll use the top power. One of them, you'll use the bottom power. Oh, makes me feel like I've got a little Gloomhaven going on there. Love that. That. And um, all these cards are either to get resources or to spend resources to build up the forces you need to deploy to the battlefield to um, stop the, uh, the, the the rebellion, basically. And um, the, those are polyominoes. You're filling things up. You're creating bonuses. This game is combo-tastic. It, it, it goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Gone Shown Clever in terms of, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, boom, combo-type moves. So it's really nicely done. So the, my only problem with it was, why is this solo only? I... I took a chance. I went ahead and said, sure, I'll cover it anyway. Because I say no to nine out of every ten games that people ask me to cover. And I thought, I think, I, I think I'll try it solo, even though solo is not my jam. But what I found is, I, I would print out a sheet for Gen 2, 
And it played great as a bingo-style game. There is no reason to think of this as a solo game. Um, because, yeah, every, every, we're competing for highest score. Jen and I played together. It worked wonderfully. And so I talked about that in my final thoughts, that don't be fooled, folks. This is a great bingo game. If you want to make it really great, I made some suggestions. The designer took those on board and has now developed a full co-op version of the game, too, which I've got the rules for, and it sounds brilliant. So... It was always going to be a cool little solo roll and write. Uh, and the interesting thing is, this is a print and play campaign. So over time, much like Voyages, a game I covered a while ago, um, if you back this, over time, you'll be getting additional maps as the game grows and evolves and it goes through the epic story. And, um, and, and there's actually narrative elements in the game too, like, hey, do you want to help this person or hurt them? You know, when certain events happen and stuff like that. So there's a lot going on. It's a sharp roll and write and, uh, uh, contrary to early reports, it's a great multiplayer game, and I suspect, I haven't tried it yet, but I suspect it's also a great cooperative game. So, um, I am still rating it. Uh, I haven't gotten to play the co-op. If I played the co-op before I had to film this, I might have bumped it up a few more notches. I'm still very excited about, though, my number eight of the month, Shoes Tactics. Okay, then let's go on to number seven. Dead Reckoning, which is a game that I passed on when it was on Kickstarter and they asked me to cover it, uh, whatever it was, a couple of years ago, because it's a 4X game of, of high seas piracy driven by designer John D. Clare's, John D. Clare's brilliant card crafting system. Jen and I love card crafting, but we hate 4X. We like the explore, the expand, the exploit, and we hate the exterminate. And the original um, design for Dead Reckoning has a lot of player versus player stuff built in with a really cool cube tower combat resolution system. It's got a lot of really, really neat things to it. But I passed. And then, after the campaign was over, I found out, oh, they have solo and co-op mode. I'm like, what the heck? I would have totally covered it. So it took forever. But I finally got a copy. And Jen and I sat down, and we had an epic three-hour game. It was our first attempt. So, um, And we loved it. We both thought it was fantastic. I don't. I think this was Jen's second highest ranked game of the month, and for me, it's coming in at number seven. We both rate it very highly, and that's saying something, folks, because we're at a point in our lives where we just do not have time for epic three-hour games. Although, I, the next time we play it, I'm sure we'll get it down to two hours because we've got the basic flow down and all of that. You know, learn the 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 you know the the, the overall structure. But I don't know if we'd ever get it much lower than uh, an hour 90 or probably two hours. That's okay, though, because it's so good. Working as a co-op game, and I assume as a solo, which I haven't tried, uh, we were so engrossed. Even though it was three hours, it's like the time just dissolved. It disappeared. We, I mean, we, we were done. We're like, oh my god, was that three hours? I had no idea. Because we were so engrossed with the card crafting, the uh, the exploration, the discovery, fighting the AI ships rather than fighting each other, working together, trying to coordinate. Okay, if you can get over to that island, I need to get to you so that I can give you these resources that you would have to go all the way back to the home port for. Stay out longer. Because there's this really nice ebb and flow. You can only carry so much on your ship before you eventually have to go all the way back to harbor. And so there's a lot of sailing out and then sailing back. But in the co-op game where we could work together, I could generate things on my islands that you could use, that um, that really changes up the feel of the game. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. Really, really impressed um, with number seven, of the month, Dead Reckoning. And I can see why so many people were so excited about it. Um, good, good stuff. But we're not done yet, folks. Let's move on to number six, Sky Mines. 
And now this is a game that's been a long time coming because many, many years ago, uh, designer Alexander Fischer, my number two designer of all time, designed Mombasa, which is a brilliant um, mid-to-heavyweightish Euro all about the colonization and subjugation of Africa. And most people agree, wow, the gameplay design of this game is bonkers brilliant. And we don't want to play this game because we do not want to be uh, doing, uh, you know... uh, uh, basically committing atrocities against mankind. It was just, it, you know, so there was this huge disconnect between how great the gameplay was and how, for some people, not everybody, and you know, I don't mean to shame anybody here. I mean, I will admit, I've evolved on this. At one point, I wasn't that bothered by it either, but I'm certainly bothered by it now, as I have spent more time really thinking long and hard about what board games can be. For a guy who's all about the theme in Euros, for me to just kind of ignore the theme of Mombasa... That was that was my mistake, and um, I I'm long story short, I am so happy, and you can go watch my run through of it. That uh, Mombasa has been re-released with a new retheme called Sky Mines. We are not exploiting Africa anymore. We're exploiting the moon or uh, the uh, was it the Kuiper asteroid belt, and because it's a two-sided board, and the original gameplay of Mombasa is still here. One of the most brilliant card hand management systems where you have three dynamic discard piles that you're trying to juggle at the same time. I, that may sound weird. Watch my run-through to see why it's so cool, because it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and you're also spending a lot of time you know, trying to balance uh, investing in different mining companies that you uh, will get more points out of than other players, or if other players invest in a given mining company, well, maybe I should invest in it too, because you've put, you've put them on the top, and I, I want to kind of undercut the points you get. The I have to admit the the stock manipulation, the you know ownership stuff. That's the least interesting element of the game to me. The hand management for the cards is absolutely brilliant, and it's a wonderful, fun game with now a wonderful, fun theme. And so I have to doff my cap to Alexander Fister and all the developers who listened to um, people who expressed you know you know who, who weren't you know calling for you know banning or canceling. Who were just saying, boy, we we would just enjoy this game so much more if it could be focusing more on this instead of that. And um, why not make a game that can bring more people into the hobby? That's what they've done now with a brilliant re-envisioning and also upgrade too. There's a lot of really cool extra new features that also, as far as I'm concerned, are make this better than Mombasa for lower player counts. I talked about all this in my final thoughts. It's a really brilliantly designed system called Luna, and um, you can check it all out in my run-through of number six of the month, Skyminds. Okay, then let's talk about number five, Dinosaur Rar and Write. Okay, um, this is another roll and write, which means it's another game that we took on the road when we were in Alaska. And this one was by far the heaviest game we played up there. This is a really crunchy game. Do not go into this game thinking it's a really, really lightweight roll and write, like, uh, you know, like a Gone Shown Clever or a or, uh, you know, pick pick one. This game really feels like it goes toe-to-toe with its predecessor, uh, Dinosaur Island. And I assume it's it's, uh, follow-ups, it's successor, Dinosaur World. Uh, At the heart of the game, we are trying, through roll-and-write mechanisms, to um, develop the best Jurassic Park-esque dinosaur park and attract all kinds of customers who will come and give us victory points. And a big part of the game is actually building the polyomino um, pieces. And one of the things I gotta say, I really appreciate 
appreciate about this. Most of the time, when you're playing a polyomino style game, whether it's a roll and ride or just with one of the tiles, you're always trying to squeeze them in as tight as possible, like a jigsaw puzzle. You can't do that here. It's not a good idea to put a carnivore pen right next to an herbivore pen. You need to put some space between your dinos, which it makes it a much more interesting polyomino style game. Because you have to keep everything separated, which means not only are you developing the, the dinosaur replication DNA technology, which is a big part of the game, kind of a set collection, different strands of DNA to make certain types of dinosaurs. Not only are you um, investing to build the pens, but you're also having to invest in the infrastructure to make connecting roads for them as well, uh, which really elevates this above regular polyomino tiling. Uh, it's just a lot more interesting uh, in how you use uh, space. And then also... You might think, oh, roll and write. You just roll some dice, you do whatever they say. No. This game, every round, has three big, heavy um, phases. The first one, you roll a bunch of these gorgeous... Um, amber-colored dice that, you know, obviously recall Jurassic Park with the mosquito, you know, trapped in amber. And um, there's going to be a draft, a snake draft, where everybody's going to get some dice. Um, and then uh, they are going to use those dice in the second phase, which is a worker placement game. And then, after you've done all the dice drafting and all the worker placement, then you take all the stuff you've got and you actually start building your dino park. And then every once in a while, when a certain threshold is passed, we open the doors and hopefully nobody gets eaten. I think it's great. It is so far above uh, Dino Island. I mean, it, 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 is, it is such a big step up uh, in terms of, of depth and interesting gameplay. Uh, we were really, really impressed by this. And um, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely a keeper. I don't think it's the heaviest roll and ride of all time. I mean, soon that's going to be Twilight Inscription. But for now, I think the heaviest is still... Um, oh, what is it? Merchants of Pandora. But this is in the running for number two. So if you're like Rollin' Rights, but you're looking for a big, heavy beast of a game with a lot of stuff going on, you might want to check out number five of the month, Dinosaur Island. Rawr! Not roll. Rawr! And right. Okay. Then, let's go to number four. Oh my goodness, Sunshine City. I think this was Jen's game of the month, if I recall correctly from recording the Jen Jog with her last week. She loved this game so much. Uh, bear in mind, this was a, another uh, paid preview I did for a game that is on Kickstarter as another one of these print-and-play campaigns, where if you back it for an incredibly small amount of money, you um, get PDFs or bitmaps of uh, player sheets that you can print out at home. And then you could laminate them, or you could, uh, well... Uh, I, I actually, I talk about different ways to get longevity out of them in my run-through. And actually, I show the coolest accessory ever if you're a roll-and-write print-and-play fan like I now am. Because Sunshine City is amazing! It is a triple rondelle game. Every round, you're going to roll two dice. And this is bingo style. So the two dice are rolled. Everybody looks at the two dice. The lower-value die, they move one of their rondelle pips that many spaces clockwise around the rondelle and activate that city zone they're in, which will generate glass or lumber or or, um, or votes um, you know for political capital or just money which is a wild card and then after you've moved one of your pips because you have three you have a builder an inventor and a uh, a lobbyist 
So if, if, if I rolled a three and a five, I move the uh, lobbyist three because, hey, they landed in a place where they get a lot of cash. That's perfect. That's going to be good use for them. Then I have to move one of my other two um, uh, meeples or wh- whatever you want to use, cubes. I use Jen's glass googlies from her gamer glass supply. Um, you, you, you use the other one, five in this case. And that means you activate a different building. And every round, that sounds so simple. But this is another one of those wonderful Gonshone-esque clever, clever games of exploding combinatorial stuff. You spend a few turns building things up, you know, getting the resources you need to build buildings that will um, increase your goods production or making inventions that will unlock special powers or getting political favors that will unlock one-time super mega powers. And very quickly, everybody's going in different directions um, trying their best to, and I love the subject matter, trying to make the best Sunshine City. The winner, or the game trigger is tr- triggered when somebody makes their seventh electric power, or I'm sorry, electric power plant, uh, a solar power plant, which means you are trying, or you're trying to do a lot of stuff to make those things built. And so I love the theme. I love the message, but more than anything, I love the gameplay. And I also love that the developers um, are also, you know, like... Um, like, like some other games uh, of this genre, if you buy it for the low, low price, you'll be able to get a bunch of different maps and they plan on releasing more. They are also planning on releasing an app you can download that will make randomly generated cities. So you have, I mean, that is so cool. I cannot wait to see how that works. So I am very impressed for, like I said, for Jen, I think it was her number one of the month. For me, it is number four. Uh, spoiler alert for folks who actually watch the Gen Dogs. It might not be. There might've been another one that she rated even higher. I don't remember for sure. But anyway, Sunshine City is fantastic. All right. Then we go on to number three, getting to the best of the best. How about Terracotta Army? The latest from publisher Board and Dice. Uh, this is a wonderful game where players are racing to make the famous Terracotta Army. And um, it's a worker placement game at heart. Because up in the top left corner of the screen, there are there's three nested circles. And um, those circles create a bunch of worker placement spots where if I place my worker in this southwest corner, I will activate the uh, an action from the center circle, the middle circle, and the outer circle. So every time you place a worker, you're doing three actions, and you're ideally trying to do actions that combo well together. And well, how can you do that? Because the circles spin. On your turn, if you want, you can spend a little bit of cash, although cash is tight in this game, to make the, top, the middle or the... Um, or the top uh, wheel spin, either clockwise or counterclockwise. And that reprograms the worker placement spot where you want to send your worker. But it also reprograms every other worker placement spot on the, around the rondelle, which directly affects every other player. And it's absolutely brilliant. We found it to be so much fun. Although, I will warn you, it also can be incredibly analysis paralysis inducing. Um, so if that wasn't a problem for us, because it's just me and Jen, but if you play with a bunch of people who tend to um, ham and haw a lot, this you, it could be a long time before you get your turn again. That would really be my only complaint. But it's kind of baked into the game. There's no getting around it. It is a wonderfully rich and dynamic worker placement game that is so much fun to play. Now, there's the other half of the game, too, which is kind of like an area majority thing in the mausoleum, because every statue you build, and you can build regular statues, you can upgrade them, you can do all kinds of fun stuff, but um, these are... you. We are being rated for the endgame based on all kinds of getting majorities in rows and columns and areas. You can see right from the get-go, as part of setup, five things that you will be judged on are chosen randomly. And so you know, what do I want to do in round one? 
one? What do I want to do in round five? And you can be planning for the end of the game right from the get-go, which can also accentuate the analysis paralysis. Don't get me wrong, but both Jen and I were really impressed. And especially because area majority area control stuff is usually kind of a... A sticky wicket for me and Jen is Care Bears. We generally tend not to like to take space from each other. But in this game, the area majority is 100% just about trying to get points. And so me stopping you from scoring five points because I moved in is really just the same as me scoring five points. It's not like I stole resources. It's not like I destroyed an engine for you. So we were even comfortable with that. It's a really brilliant design. Highly recommended. Number three of the month, Terracotta Army. Then we go on to the second best game. Oh my goodness. Sagrada with the new Glory expansion, which is fantastic. Sagrada was always a wonderful, beautiful, colorful dice drafting um, game where players are racing to try to complete a bunch of different objectives using special powers or saving their favors for points. And I'm always dealing with this fiendishly tension-filled and challenging puzzle of how can I get the right color and the right number dice to build my perfect stained glass window for the familia, Sagrada Familia. Um, and uh, you know, we always thought the original game was great. But the original game was maybe a little bit too lightweight for us. But then when you start adding the expansions, there's this is the third one. There was Life and Passion, and now we have Glory. And I think this one might be the best because the new elements it adds are so good. The Strife dice, where there's a new color of die that has problems. They can You can take them. They can help you. But they have some, every time you play, a different restriction placed on them that makes them tough to work with. Um, but even more importantly, there's new types of objective cards where we're racing to complete them. Or other cards where we have is secret objectives. And if we, if we get them at the beginning of the game and we choose to keep them, they're kind of ticket to ride style. Hey, if you don't complete this objective by the end of the game, you'll lose those points instead of gain them. And so these extra elements put so much more wonderful tension and excitement and drama and make the drafting so much more exciting. It is absolutely fantastic. It's the best Sagrada has ever been, which is why it comes in at number two, Sagrada with the Glory expansion. But folks, we have a number one as well. And it's again, because of an expansion, Red Cathedral, the contractors. Now, Red Cathedral made my top 10 for, was it 2020, I think, or maybe it was 2021. A uh, brilliant, brilliant game. Uh, dice rondel, where every turn, most turns, you're going to pick a die on the outskirts of the rondel, move it clockwise, as ever many spaces it says on the pips of the die, and then activate the zone you landed on. But this is a multi-use rondel, where the zone you activate... Um, gather some resources. That might be the reason you went there. Activates a guild. That might be the reason you work there. Or activates a special power that you've um, programmed into the die. If that's the reason you went there. And in a perfect world, you chose that die to activate all three of those bonuses. And when you can pull turns like that off, it's so satisfying. The core game is great. You can watch the run-through I did back um, last year or whenever. Um, and... I already really loved it. My only complaint about the original game was that I was kind of bummed that the guild cards that go on the outskirts of the rondelle, the game didn't come with very many. And so pretty quickly, you'll see them kind of reappearing over and over again. So the contractors solves that by bringing in a bajillion new guilds that are really huge game changers. My only complaint is 
<laughs> and it's very, very sad. Every time you play, you can only choose one new guild. I want all new guilds all the time, but uh, three of the four guilds will still be from the original game. One new guild will come in, but and I'll be honest, one new guild coming in, if it's from the uh, the Jewelers Guild versus the, uh, the Overseer Guild, whichever, just that one guild can so radically change the game, I'm happy with it. So that's why I wanted this expansion, because it fixed the one real shortcoming, more variety from the guilds, which again are one of the three elements whenever you're activating your, um, 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 what do you call it? Uh, the, Ron the dice on the rondelle. But that's not all, because they added a whole nother board to the game. This regional board, it gives you a new action you can do you couldn't do before, which is you can spend a new type of resource, permits, to send your contractors to different regions um, on this other board. And those will give you specialist tiles that are super powerful and will upgrade the new black die, which didn't exist in the original game. There's now a new sixth color die. And you have to get these specialist tiles to program that die, other than the workshop like the original game. And there's a whole area majority thing going on over there. So you're trying to send your contractors either to get a lot of the uh, right types of specialists or try to get into a region that's going to be strong for you at the end of the game. And it's like this whole other avenue to explore that um, you're, you're trying to squeeze into all the other things you're trying to do in this very, very tight and tension-filled game. It was already fantastic. This is one of those expansions that in every way, shape, or form makes the game so much better, which is why I mean, like I said, Red Cathedral was already in my top 10, but now uh, for the year, I don't do top 10s based on um, expansions, but all I can say is it puts Red Cathedral with the Contrast expansion as the number one best game that we played in the month of July. Oh my gosh, that was a lot. And hopefully you found something in there of interest to you, uh, either from me or from one of the contributors. Thank you so much, everybody, uh, for helping uh, make the show better. Kimberly, Shay, Ryan, Ruel, and Amy and Maggie, and maybe uh, contributor number six uh, beginning in August fingers crossed. I can't wait. I'm very excited about it. But anyway, thanks to all of you folks for making the show better. Thanks to all of you folks, I should say, for watching. And of course, also, thanks very much to sponsor of the show, uh, Fun Again Games. And now I've got one more very special thanks. I'm going to do some shout outs, folks, because as you know, um, the entire operation here runs on the kindness of strangers. Thank you to everybody who is appearing over there on list. These are all the people who back the show on Patreon, on Twitch as subscribers, or on YouTube as a member. But in addition to all of these folks, I want to shout out by name all the really high level backers. So uh, get comfortable folks. As I say, super thanks to Adrian Dong, um, Estes uh, Simonionis, Ben, Blake Wilson, Chris Arnold, CK Mom, Cobra Misfit, Dan Halligan, Davey Davis, Denmawa 2030CE. Denmawa? What's happening in 2030CE? What do you know that we don't know? Um, Dennis Inti, Dr. Fu, Eric Z, Hans, Peter Bach, Heather Ruderian, or Ruderian, Sorry, Heather. Uh, Jay Huber, um, Jeff Glazen, or is it Glasson? I'm going to go with Glazen, Jeff Hoffman, Jerry Reese, Jimmy Schroeder Hansen, uh, Cameron Zafar, Caitlin Albert, uh, Kisa Griffin, Lex, Lisa Needs Braces, Dental Plan, Lisa Needs Braces, Dental Plan. I finally got the reference. Um, uh, Marilyn, Marlon Cruz, uh, Martin Gr uh, Griffin, Mike Bloom, Mom Gamer. Love you, mom, or uh, or MG. Uh, um, uh, love you too, mom. Wherever you are, 
uh, Nicola Taylor, Paul Martinez, Selma Lee, Shannon Laubach, uh, Spellenport, Stacy Lee, Stur- Steve, 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 Ercolini, hey Steve, hey Betsy, um, Tom Cohen, and Victory BHG. Folks, you help keep Rotto running, as does everybody else here. Thanks for watching. Everyone, whether you're supporting the show or not, and hope to see you again next month in the next roundup. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, bye bye.